we had protocols, but uh, I think I'm just going to go ahead and preach. The atmosphere's here. Is that okay with y'all? Preach, talk, whatever. Would you lift your hands with me again and just worship the Lord again? Glory to God, we bless you, sir. We worship you, sir. Lord, it just seems like uh, church, as we've had it for years, is not going to do with what we're entering into. (laughs) This feels like you're going to do something different in us. That's going to move us to places that many of us have not been. Do y'all feel what I feel? You know, if you're Baptist, it's okay. I was raised in a Baptist church, but when the presence of God comes, it's all right. You're made for this. Lift your hands up to Him. You're made for Him. A bird's created to fly. He just he's best in the air. A fish just does best in the water. And Lord, we do best in your presence. Without it, we're just quite dry. And today, it's so nuts. (laughs) Many of us just, you know, we're just tired. And we prayed for refreshing for a long, long time. And it just seems as though the refreshing is here. So, Lord, in this meeting, help us and minister to us. In Jesus' name. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. This is my journal. I think I've read this before, but I'm going to read this straight from. I've read this in the prayer meetings we've had. Lord, take us where we need to go in this meeting and just minister life in Jesus' name. This is going to be a change here. So minister to us. Thank you. If If you're with us for the first time, welcome to Victory Church. Welcome to the presence of Jesus. 
Welcome to a potential new life. How's that? On Sunday, October 6th, our 6 p.m. prayer meeting, I'm reading from my notes. Uh, I have a journal I keep. Uh, The Holy Spirit came on me in an unusual way. I was tired. I didn't feel like leaving the prayer meeting. It was a Sunday night, not quite a year ago. Two years ago, actually, 2019. I sat on a stool in front of the people. I'm reading from my notes here. Spirit of prayer fell on me. And here's what I said, there is in a not-too-distant future a sudden challenge. As a nation, I do not know what it is, but it will be a catalyst for Joel 2.28 to be made manifest. There is a fresh moving of the Spirit, comma, but it will come as the people are unusually challenged. Now, I got that, and I mean the Holy Spirit was on me strong that night. It was two years ago, and uh, here we are. Uh, almost two years later, and of course, COVID and all that's happened in the world, the challenges we all feel and face, the changes in our nation. I'd like to tell you the future's rosy, but part of the future is very dark and bleak. If you keep your eyes on that, you're going to be discouraged. But there is another part of our future that is very, very bright. And that part of our future, if we'll learn to ride that wave. You know, a surfer gets out in the ocean and he goes out there uh, past the breakers and then gets his board prepared and ready and then the waves start coming in, you know. You can see it in your mind's eye while I'm talking about it, right? And and then he'll get up on his board and, and there's a wave and he gets right on the wave, right on the crest of it. And what looks like would be disaster is a thrill to him or her. Is that true? You can see it, right? The little, you remember the waves that are like really big and they're over him? You know, the guy's right on the crest of it and he's just having fun. Here's the wave way over him. That's our future. Did you hear what I just said? If you stay in the water, you'll have a hard time. But if you learn to surf with it, you'll be blessed. How many understand? And then in my notes today, as I was uh, praying, Isaiah 60, I've made reference to that a lot. Isaiah 60, 1 through 3, Isaiah, uh, this is, man, almost 2,500 years ago, but it's so applicable to now. It's crazy. Arise, shine, your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness will cover the earth. That's now, isn't it? And it says deep darkness, or other translations bear gross darkness. Upon the people, and that has to do perhaps with moral failures, moral declensions going down. But it says, but the Lord will arise over you. God puts the butts in just the right places. Darkness covers the earth, deep darkness the people, but you don't stay there. But the Lord will arise over you. When will the Lord arise over you? When darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Well, who's he talking about you? Well, he's talking there, perhaps Isaiah, to the people of God, Old Testament. But today he's talking to the church. And there's a tremendous application right now. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. 
The Gentiles will come to your light. The Gentiles are reference to people that don't know the Lord. The Gentiles, the unbelieving ones, shall come to your light. Who's that? Who is it? It's God the Father, it's Jesus, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Isn't that awesome? It's going to affect the common person. It's also going to affect the people that are in places and positions of responsibility. How many see that? So, so there's a, a, a colliding of darkness, a colliding of darkness and light. And uh, so, so, so how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you deal with this? How do you make it? I got one other thing. Y'all okay? I've shared this quite a bit in our, um, in our prayer meetings on Saturday, but this one was quite impactful to me. I, Susan and I lived in Tulsa for um, uh, right at eight years. And uh, while I was living there, we had small children. And Kenneth Hagin would have a camp meeting every summer. He called it camp meeting because Pentecostal people would have a, would, would back, back, way back in the 20s, 30s, uh, they would erect a brush arbor in a big field and invite the people to come with their gear, with their animals, with their, you know, wagons and their horses and stuff and, and just come and they'd just have, uh, they'd call it camp meeting. And they'd just wait on God for days. And the Lord spoke to him to do that. So he started in uh, 1980, uh, excuse me, 73 or 4 to have camp meetings. So I was there in 1987. He had a camp meeting, like I've mentioned, and, and the whole idea there was you had a whole week, all day long, you had services, meetings, and the Holy Spirit would manifest. And that's why today we put God in a box and we want him to do what we want him to do in our time. And I feel him beginning to say, take me out of your box and let me be who I want to be in you. How many hear what I just said? Yeah. So... I want to read this real quickly here and move forward. 1987, this is a guy named Mark Barclay. Have I mentioned this Sunday mornings before? I don't think I've read it. Mark Barclay is a wonderful man of God. He's a, a former upper echelon military man, decorated war veteran of the Vietnam War. And uh, he was speaking at this meeting Kenneth Hagin had in 1987. I was actually there. My son was three years old sitting beside me. 1987, he says, I was a speaker at a camp meeting in Tulsa. I spoke during the Thursday evening service, and Dr. Hagen, Kenneth Hagen, spoke Friday evening, and he had just come in from another, another nation. I'm trying to get to the uh, gist of this here. And uh, as uh, Dr. Hagen, Kenneth Hagen, entered the pulpit, he began to pray. And um, when he started to pray, Bart Barkley started to pray. I'm, kind of reading this and trying to get to the gist of it. And uh, when he prayed, he went into a vision. Or if you go to the book of Acts, you know, Peter fell into a vision, a trance in Acts chapter 10. Saw a sheet, remember that? Let down from heaven. He had a similar kind of experience. And he said Dr. Hagen's voice got quieter and quieter as he prayed from the, uh, from the stage. And he said, I could hear him no more. And Mark Barkley said, it was so quiet all around me, I felt I could hear my own heartbeat all of a sudden. I felt evil as if it were surrounding me. And I'm reading this because it seems to be happening today. 
He had a vision of the future, something that was going to happen. All of a sudden, I felt evil as if it were surrounding me. Anger rose up in me, he says, and fear tried to get a grip on me. Suddenly, something caught my attention out of my left eye. I turned hard to the left to see what it was. I saw the circumference of the earth from one edge to the other, and this horrible black dark cloud was rising up over the horizon. Somehow, I knew it would eventually fill the entire earth. An alarm went off in me, screaming, Uh, to me to turn away from it as fast as I could. You found that? My goodness, it's on the screen. Look at there. Um, I felt like I should scream at it to stop it in its tracks by using the name of Jesus. I began to rebuke it and started to say in the name of Jesus. I didn't quite get it out, and the Lord said, that will do you no good. What? The Lord said, son, you can't use my name to stop what I prophesied. I'm not causing this dark cloud, but I did prophesy it. It would happen in the last days. And then he said, I remember in the vision that I asked the Lord, what is this? What is this evil, tempestuous, dark cloud? The Lord said, uh, this is what I showed my prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 61 and 2. This is every evil thing you can name. It's every demon, every disease, every sickness, bacterial attacks that haven't even been discovered yet. It will cause humans to do things to humans that aren't even human. Filled with insanity, many people will lose their mind, their faculties. It's murder, terror, rape, abuse. Terrorism, torture, much worse, is filled with the deception, heresies, perversions, filth. Some things the Lord showed me I have not had permission to speak. I also saw people, many, many people. Some were running into the dark clouds. Some were being sucked into it. And then he said it reminded me of this uh, very powerful shop vac I have. He said it not only suck up the dirt, but also tools if he didn't pay attention. So I saw many people screaming with terror, actually being dragged into this cloud Uh, Though they were refusing it, resisting it with all their strength, they still did not possess the power to stop it. I was so disturbed when I saw a cross on someone's pocket or jewelry, I remember saying to the Lord, uh, who are those being drawn into the filth terror wearing the Christian symbol of the cross? Who are these people not even resisting? And who are these people resisting with all their might, but it doesn't do any good? Um, Lost my place, hang on. Uh, Yeah, they just keep disappearing in this horrible, evil cloud of gross darkness. The Lord answered and said, oh, these are those who do not have clean hands and a pure heart. Did you hear what I just said? They've been warned but ignored the warning. Some even wanted this filth as their lifestyle. Yeah. I asked, well, who are these wearing the cross? Oh, the Lord said, these are the people who claim me a Savior. Many of them have desired this filth and even fought for it. They make excuses but are not excused. The ones who were resisting thought my prophets were exaggerating and from the old school and they denied the warnings. Now this evil has come and they possess little to no power, certainly not enough to resist and overcome this horrible onslaught of enemy power. Only those with clean hands and a pure heart will be able to totally resist this and cover the earth. It was much more I began to come out of the vision. Again, Brother Hagin speaking in tongues. He was praying in the spirit from the pulpit. There's about 10,000 people there. I was there, I remember. Um, she said he asked his wife what happened she said nothing he was not doing anything but praying in the spirit and then he said I began to realize nobody had seen what he saw except uh, him he had been caught up in a trance or a vision he held his wife's hand a little tighter began to pray fervently in the spirit and he, again the same thing happened again just like before Brother Hagin's voice got quieter quieter until it was gone I found myself alone again it was so quiet I could hear my own heartbeat suddenly a piercing light hit the corner of my Right eye, it was so bright, I instantly shrouded my head in my hands, reminded me of the tense light my optometrist uses to examine the back of my eyes. Actually, it's much brighter than that. Everything within me said, turn and look into it, turn now and run into it. Yet there was this hesitation because it was so bright, it seemed to shine through me. Finally, I gave in to it, looked directly at it. With both hands, I saw the depth of this bright cloud. 
just like the dark, dark cloud I'd seen before, it was coming up over the horizon of the earth. I could tell it was going to cover the planet. I just knew that there was nothing that could stop it. I remember asking the Lord, what is this? What is this massive, earth-consuming, bright cloud? The Lord answered me, oh, this is my glory. This is the glory cloud I showed my prophet Isaiah, and this is a wrong reference. It should be Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 2. This is what I promised that my glory would fill the whole earth. Well, I asked, what's inside the cloud? It is filled with the greatest miracles uh, humans have ever seen. It's filled with healing for every disease, a cure for every sickness. It's power to overcome sin and filth, to receive truth and reject error, heresies and doctrines of demons. It's a full manifestation of my spirit. It's the full anointing of Jesus Christ and much more. He showed me other things I have no permission to speak at this time. I saw people in this vision just like before with a cloud of darkness. Many, many people were running into it, almost frolicking in it. It was like my first response, too bright to bold, and then I wanted to run into it. Uh, There were those who seemed to want to pull away from this glory cloud Lord, who will enter into this great glory of God and enjoy this awesome power, I ask. Those who have pure heart and clean hands, the Lord answered. Those are the ones who will escape the horrible vacuum of evil, dark cloud and be consumed with my glory. I will require you to tell these things to the people at an appointed time. And then he said this. uh, Now is the time, and again, uh, I want to mention that this is 1987 he got this. Uh, As I travel all over the world, he said this a few years ago, I both see... Both of these manifestations happening, in fact, it seems, I see the beginning to intensify. Sometimes I say that both God and Satan are having a revival among men. It's a different way to put it, isn't it? Uh, We will see now more and more people running to each cloud, causing a great gulf or divide. Could this be the separation of the sheep, the goats? Separation of the wheat, the tares that Jesus mentioned. I'm not a conspiracy theory person, he says. I'm not a fear-based preacher. I'm a pro- not a prophet of doom. But what I'm about to say is none of these. So, what a, uh, But I am actually witnessing the spirit of, spirits of the Antichrist prepping the people of earth, including many churchgoers, for the arrival of the Antichrist himself. I see demons, spirits of Antichrist, going throughout the earth. They're slowly reprogramming the minds of men doctrines of demons to systematically disassemble the work of Christ and disengage the army of God. He said, you can avoid this if you choose. If you choose not to, you'll suffer the consequences. So that's, uh, I I read that, you know, every once in a while, it's always in the background of my mind because it feels like we're right there. It's crazy. Uh, Things are happening in our nation that never happened before. Would you agree with that? Worldwide, the world is uh, in tumult. I mean, You hardly have words and adjectives to describe what we're seeing today. And nobody feels good about it. Would you agree with that? It's like, what on earth is happening? Well, it's it's a tremendous change. uh, Satan has a huge desire to control the whole world, just like he did heaven before he fell, and just like he did when he, he coerced Eve into listening to him, and then Adam saw that Eve had sinned, and he sinned right along with her, and ever since then, Satan has, been, has, has become uh, the evil prince ruler of this world. Uh, he's the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, the little g god, I say. That is, he's got a right to be here, a right to control, a right to conspire, and he's got one last hurrah. He's, uh, he's going to bring this person on the scene. He's trying to do that now, and that's why you feel the way you feel. So there is an intense... You know, say spiritual battle, would you agree? It's huge. And all of us feel it. Now, some people are taken 
uh, back by this and don't know what to do. And I mentioned a few weeks ago, other people are turning to things they do to keep pain from their life. Pain seeks pleasure. So there's a lot of pleasure seekers today. People are drinking more than they ever have, doing drugs, all kinds, pornography, sex, you name it. Anything that'll just kind of satisfy the flesh and give you a little bit of relief from the pain we feel. Is that true? And see, that's happening all over our culture. And the temptation is, man, what do you do, God? The pressure just doesn't let up every day. Well, God has a purpose and a plan. It's a rise shine. He said it to Isaiah, a rise shine. Your light has come. He said it before he said what's going on. Arise, shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord's risen upon you. See, in Isaiah 60, God showed us, first of all, what, he, what our response should be when the darkness comes. He didn't talk about the darkness first. He talked about what he's doing first. Arise, shine, your light has come. Then he says what's going to be happening. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Then he says, darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, see? So he wants us to keep our eyes on him and not us. So I'm in the middle of a series here on the Holy Spirit. This is Sunday number three. It's not going any, anything the way I planned. I, I can't even get to my notes. It's the craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life. But I feel, I feel the Holy Spirit going this way. Um, so, so the question is, in the middle of all this mess, what do we do? Well, well, you know, I think maybe an even broader question would be, how can I make, as a believer, more room for the Holy Spirit in my life? Would that be a good question? If you want what you've never had before, you got to do what you've never done before. And uh, obviously, you've heard this umpteen thousand times, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting. Yeah, it doesn't happen, does it? So there's something here. So how can I make room for more of the Holy Spirit in my life? There is one word that God wants to become part of our daily life. It's not a word you hear much of in the United States, in churches and pastors, but it is a church, it is a word used uh, in the in in the body of Christ in yesteryear, uh, in my studies, I had uh, several courses on the history of revival in the Christian church, and there has been moves of the Spirit, and all throughout the church hist- church church history from the first century to now, every time there's been a fresh awakening or move of God, whatever you want to call it. It's always come on the heels of something terrible happening, either a natural disaster or a war or something like that where people are, are just beleaguered and they don't know what to do. And they, Can I just talk to you all? And they don't know what to say and they don't know where to go and they're desperate. And there's one word that has followed through the centuries of the church age that is quite appropriate today that I hear God speaking to me. And before I even say the word, it's not a negative word, although it seems like it. It's an extremely positive word. And it is a word that will, that will cause, what's the way to put it? It'll cause God to break out into your life in a different way. And you will experience the presence of Jesus in a different way. And it will cause such searchings of heart that things that have, have bothered you, things you've held on to from your past life, Sins of the flesh, sins of the mind, um, weights. The New Testament uses the verbiage sins that so easily 
hold us back or beset us. And it's the word repentance. Most people have no clue what repentance is. But I want you to see repentance as an open door. You know, if I'm standing outside of a a house and I ring the doorbell or use the door knock to knock on the door and and someone opens the door and invites me in, I'm on the outside and there's an atmosphere. Would you agree? And then when I walk into a person's house, there's another atmosphere. Repentance opens the door to a different atmosphere in life. It's really an amazing word. We know very little of it in American Christianity in the last 20 plus years. Very little of it, maybe 30 plus years. So whether or not you're a Christian, maybe you're not a believer and you just happened across this online, or maybe you're in the room and you're really not a believer, you're here because somebody invited you. I'm really glad you came because God loves you just like you are. The amazing thing, he, he wants to take you from where you are into another, another way of living. It's really amazing. Or you may be a believer. See, repentance opens the door for the Holy Spirit to work in your life in a fresh way. If you don't know the Lord, repentance is an open door into your life. The repentance says, God, in the person of, of the Holy Spirit, come into my life and, and rattle my cage. Challenge everything I am and do, Right? Everything becomes different. So again, I feel a a strong urge from heaven inside me every day. This word repentance just seems like it's the order of the day. It's the time we're living in. And I've said this, and and I'm going to keep saying it. We have an, an era of time. There's an open window. And I feel it. And, and, and we're, it's here. And God is saying, I don't care who you are, where you've been, what you've been involved in, how bad it's been to in your mind. If you'll let this door of repentance open up in your life, he will free you from your past. Forgive you of all of your mess and straighten life up. Is that cool? That sounds like my God. So there's a window of time for the American church, and it's right now. Um, You know, um, A.B. Simpson, who died in 1919, I have a bunch of his books. He was a prolific writer. He he got healed by God's power at age 40 after having a congenital heart disease that almost killed him. And he began to preach divine healing and, and, and the power of the word of God the rest of his life. And Uh, He lived on up into his 70s, but he's a wonderful man. He said, the veil that hides our future is woven by the hand of mercy. And you've heard me say that before. So God will not show you everything about the future, but all of us inside just don't feel great about what's coming. Do you feel that? It's something you can't get away from. And uh, there's no, you know, it's like, uh, (laughs) this is a bad illustration. You ever run over a skunk? I mean, really, have you ever done that? We don't have them around here, but Midwest, I live in Tulsa eight years. Uh, you know, there was a song back in the 70s, there's a dead skunk in the middle of the road. Y'all remember that? <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. But, you know, if, and first time I ever rode, uh, uh, run over a skunk, Susan and I had just been married a couple of years, and we had moved to Tulsa, well, about a year, and moved to Tulsa. She had a, she had a, a, a really nice Camaro. It was a sweet car. And we were tooling down the road. I just loved to drive her car. It was her car before we got married. 
and we were uh, tooling down the road in Oklahoma, and uh, suddenly, and we had the air conditioner on, it was hot, over 100 degrees, and we ran over a skunk, and you know, that musky, whatever it is, smell is indescribable, and it gets into your AC system, and it just lasts there a while. How many understand? That's the darkness. You can't get away from it. I don't care what you do. It's there. It's like, uck, yuck. How do you deal with it? Well, repentance. And that's what God's saying to America. James chapter 4. I mentioned this last week, verse 4, J.B. Phillips' translation of the New Testament. Speaking to the church, the half-brother of Jesus, James, or Jacob, was also his name. You are like unfaithful wives flirting with the glamour of this world and never realizing that to be the world's lover means to become becoming the enemy of God. Anyone who deliberately chooses to love the world is thereby making himself God's enemy. Do you think the scriptures have to... Uh, Do you think what the scriptures have to say about this is a mere formality? Or do you imagine that the spirit of passionate jealousy is the spirit he has caused to live in us? So so, so God's speaking to the church, not unbelieving believers. He's saying, "You're you're messing with my enemy. And when you make my enemy your friend, then by default, I don't want you to, but you make me your very enemy. The very thing you want to love, you push away. Y'all, that's where the American church has been for a while. How many hear what I'm saying? Not everybody, and I know that. Know that. But this week I was studying. As actually, I was going to go a completely different direction. As I was in my office, uh, praying and reading, and what just how I study and such. Uh, God kept bringing back to me a verse that is coming to pass right now, and it's Acts chapter three, and it says this, verse nineteen: Repent, therefore, and be converted. Everybody say, repent. Repent, therefore, what's the order? Repent, therefore, and be converted. Now, that word converted, that may refer to a person that doesn't know the Lord that needs Jesus to forgive and cleanse his or her sin for the first time. Or it may, or it may refer to a believer who's been playing around with a mistress called the world. A believer married to God, but he's got a mistress called the world he's been messing with or she's been messing with. Repent, therefore, be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and he may send Jesus Christ to his priest to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things. How many know the restoration of all things is in our future? And that's the second coming of Christ, which God spoke by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. So I would just want you again to notice the order here, Acts 3, 19. First of all, repent. Everybody say repent. So the order is repent. What does that do? It opens a door. What happens when you open the door of repentance to your life? And be converted. That means be changed, be transformed from what you were, from what you did, from what you liked, the conversations you had, what you valued, what you esteemed, what you paid attention to, what you spent your time doing. You could fill that up with the word converted. You could fill that word up with all that. Repent, be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And then lastly, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Well, you know, if I ask for a show of hands, how many of you want times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord? A lot of people raise, I want that. Well, well, you got to go through the door. What's the door? Repent. To repent. It's repentance. Repentance always, 
always precedes a fresh move of God. And as I studied the history of revivals, it's always been that way. Any, any culture worldwide that has had a move of God, we call it in Christian circles a revival. That means something's dead that comes alive or something's off kilter that suddenly gets stirred back up. Uh, repentance always precedes a fresh move of God individually, corporately in churches, and also in nations, uh, anytime in history. And it's no different today. So let me say this, repentance, let me say this. If, if I say I know Jesus, uh, but my life has not changed, I have not repented. Did you hear what I just said? For the Holy Spirit to work in, in a fresh way in my life, I have to repent. So, so here's, here's where we are. I'm trying to summarize a lot of things here. There are millions of people I know in America, and I think it's happening in our church as well. Give an altar call. Somebody raise their hand and say, yeah, I want Jesus. I want to accept Jesus. But you know what we do? You know what we do? Oh, they accept Jesus, but you see, before it really sticks, you got to repent. I've been to India many times. I've been to Calcutta. I've been to Hindu temples. I've shared this before, but it bears repeating. This one gaudy, particularly gaudy temple in Calcutta that wasn't the temple Kali because it's a nasty temple. But there was another beautiful, ornate temple. I mean, it had ivory steps going up. In fact, I had to take my shoes off. They would let me wear my socks, but I didn't want to get my socks dirty because they had rodents crawling on the floor because that's somebody's grandma or grandpa or aunt, uncle, cousin, nephew, great-grandfather. But I walked up the steps and, every, you know, ornate, you know, you got gold in this, gold in that, arches, you know, made of gold and ivory, just really, really embellished with all kinds of things. And you walk in the door, you know, and the first thing I knew, I had a guide guiding us, you know, well, this is blah, blah, temple. So you go up maybe 15, 20 steps, way, way up, you know, uh, walk in. And then I just looked around. And, man, they were Hindu gods. They got 300 million, but they had a whole bunch of them. They probably had at minimum 25, 30 all the way around the perimeter of the building on the inside. So I just took a moment, and the guide said, well, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so, all the way around, all the way around to the very end. And here's G. I said, well, I said, well, who is that? On the white horse, they said, oh, that's Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. I said, you got, you got Jesus in a Hindu temple? He said, oh, yeah, he's a historical figure. There he is. I can't tell you how it made me feel inside. And you know what I thought? Well, that's what we do. Instead of repenting, Jesus, come into the life that I'm living. Let me, let, you, let me just set you up as somebody really great. But I'm going to keep on doing what I've been doing. That's what the Hindus did. And we had to preach and teach where God said, I will have no other gods before me. And if you really want Jesus, you got to tear the other ones down. And not go back to the Hindu temple. So uh, for believers today, we, we've forgotten the door of repentance that changes life. And now we've got a whole nation filled with people who say they love Jesus, but act like the rest of our culture. 
Did you hear what I just said? Something wrong. Is there something wrong with that or not? Is that the way it's supposed to be? If I'm a Christ follower, am I supposed to be different? Am I supposed to act differently? Am I supposed to have different morals and values? Yes or no? In my business ventures, am I to be above board or act like everybody else and just sneak things in under the rug? No, I'm supposed to change. But see, we've forgotten the door called repentance. So a lot of people have, quote, unquote, accepted Jesus, but just like the Hindus. They accepted Jesus, but just hung him out with the rest of their gods. Life never changed. So is this challenging? So, you know, there is, there is a counterfeit for repentance, and it's called remorse. Millions of people have prayed a prayer for salvation in a church service or maybe now online, prayed with a pastor online. Maybe sometime people have prayed with me. But they've never followed through with a yielded life. See? See, that will happen. They experience remorse without true repentance. Listen to this. Listen to this. Remorse is a deep and painful regret for what you've done. But it doesn't bring change. 2 Corinthians 7, 10, New Living Translation. For the kind of sorrow or conviction God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow or guilt, or you could say remorse, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. See, repentance brings change. Repentance turns me away from a bad habit. How many hear me? Repentance, you're enabled to live a new life in every area of living, your marriage, your relationships, your responses to others, the way you talk, physical habits. And then it opens us up to a fresh experience with the Holy Spirit. How many understand that? So see, the question I have to ask myself, you know, if you stumble over the same thing over and over again, ask yourself, have I really repented? See, what a lot of people do is say, well, God, forgive me for X, Y, Z, but when they think about whatever that, that wrongdoing, that X, Y, Z, is they think full well, well, I'm going to go do that again. Repentance means change. In fact, just to get into the weeds a minute here, the Greek word, which I don't need to give you because you wouldn't remember it if I did, but here's what it means, a change of heart. That means there's something inside that says, I don't want this anymore, that produces a change in the way I think about it, and that produces a lifestyle change. It's like when I keep doing that same thing, I'm not happy like I was. I can't keep going there. My heart towards it has changed. How many hear the difference? You know, I came here, Susan and I had a little date. We had celebrated our 42nd anniversary last week. And I took her to a nice steak restaurant. Somebody gave me a card. And then we came Friday night here, and they were watching the Chosen series. And that particular last one was Mary Magdalene. And she had sinned. She had walked with Jesus, was with the disciples. And I really, Susan weeps when she watches this one. It's really cool. And I did too. But uh, anyway, Mary, you know, walked with Jesus and was one in his entourage of followers and such. And in the, in the film, there's Mary. She, she had fell, fallen away from Jesus, going back to her old lifestyle of prostitution prostituted herself again 
and was filled with shame, the disciples came and found her and brought her in front of Jesus again. And she said, I can't do this. And I just love his, his response, I never asked you to do this. He said, God never asked you to do this. I'm summarizing in my words. And then he said, God just wants your heart. And if he's got your heart, he's got you. You see that? See, that's repentance. You don't have the strength to live above sin. And you don't have the strength to withstand all this dark mess that's covering the earth. But you know what you can do? When you give your heart to Jesus and say, I want you more. And see, his power comes in and cleanses. You see the difference? Repentance brings a change. And I'm not going to go through all this. In my notes, I've got five, uh, five things to know about repentance. And, and um, a couple of those things that I want to mention is, John, how many know John the Baptist talked about repentance? Before Jesus came, John the Baptist talked about repentance and he was the forerunner of Jesus and he, his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and he spoke that over and over again. I do want to just mention this in Luke chapter 3. Um, he told the people, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. In fact, you know, he, he didn't mince words. He called uh, the religious people a brood of vipers, a, a hole filled with snakes. That's, if you want to win friends and influence people, that's not the way to do it. And then he said, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say that God's able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And then he said, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruits cut down, thrown into the fire. Then the people said, well, what are we going to do? And watch what he said. It's really cool. Uh, what are we going to do? And he answered, um, if... Uh, if you have two tunics, two coats, um, uh, let him give to him who has none. If you have some food, give it to someone who has none, likewise. And then the tax collectors came uh, to be baptized. And they, they said, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than what is appointed to you. Because they would, they would collect more taxes than they needed. And they had the nicest house in town because they stole from the people. And they lied to them about the taxes. And he said, no, just no more than the tax, that's it. Live with your wage and be happy with it. And the soldier said, what will we do? And he said, don't intimidate anyone anymore. Don't falsely accuse people and, you know, wield your power. Be content with your wages. What was he saying? Repent. Change your ways. See, John, uh, John the Baptist was saying, if you're going to repent, live differently. You know what we've done with Jesus? I love Jesus, but I want to keep doing what I'm doing. If I'm an alcoholic, I want to stay an alcoholic. If I've been smoking pot, I want to keep on smoking pot. If I've been looking at pornography, I want to keep on looking at pornography. If I'm, if I'm living with somebody and, and we're not married, I want to keep on living with them and keep having sex. And God said, no, that's not repentance. You're not opening the door to a new life. How many hear me? 
See, John the Baptist had it right. Then Jesus emphasized repentance when he called his disciples, Matthew 4, repent for the kingdom of heaven's a hand. Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. He said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They left their nets and followed him. See, they, they changed their lifestyle. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother in a boat. And they were mending their nets. They left the boat and their father and followed him. And again, so Jesus said, repent when he called his disciples to follow him. He said, I want you to change how you're living your life. Come and follow me. Leave your stuff and follow me. Now, you might not leave your job. And that's not what he's asking you to do. But he is asking you to leave your lifestyle behind. Whatever you personally value, that, that is the pleasure that you bring your pain to. He's saying, leave that aside. Repent. How many hear me? And then the disciples all through the book of Acts, they took up that message of repentance. And I'm trying to figure out why we haven't done that in America. Do you hear me? Acts 2.38, Peter, the day of Pentecost, repent, change your views and purpose to accept the will of God in your inner selves. This is Amplified New Testament. Instead of rejecting it, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the release of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. First thing he said was repent. Acts 20, I've kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaiming it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, the apostle Paul says here, testifying to Jews, also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, And then to King Agrippa, Acts 26. Therefore, King Agrippa was not disobedient, disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declare first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem throughout all the region of Judea and Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. We've done, not done that in America. We just say, accept Jesus, keep on living the way you are. No, he says repent. When I come to Jesus... I have to be willing to lay everything I value aside. Question, I ask me, have I done that? Question you need to ask yourself, have I done that? Or have I, like the good old Hindu, just laid, just added Jesus to my gods? Is that a valid question to ask? It's a very valid question. Repentance means I'm changing what I'm doing. Let me give you an illustration of repentance. My cousin and I, I have a double first cousin that I played with. When You know what a double first cousin is? Well, I don't know if I ought to take time to explain it now. His, uh, his mother was my father's sister. Uh, his father was my mother's uh, brother. So we got the same DNA, just opposite. And he looks like me. What? It wasn't incest. That was, no, no. They were brothers and sisters. It wasn't incest. You got to go research this again, sister. It wasn't incest. See, I knew somebody's going to say that. Anyway, just saying we were really, we were like blood brothers. We we're close, you know. So I go, you know, go, go see my grandmother because we had both sets of grandmothers were the same. Grandfathers were the same. So we go to my my father's mother and father, and go hang out, and they had horses beside their house. And uh, so here's a here's a, here's a repentance. So so it snowed really hard one day, and and we were picking up snowballs and we we're chucking them at the cars that come by because they live kind of on the main road. We pew, pew. 
and people looking around, what was that? You know, they thought something fell off of a tree. And then uh, my grandmother, father saw us, said, well, y'all need to stop doing that. Y'all need to stop. We said, sure, okay. But see, we didn't repent. You get it? So we kept picking up snowballs and chunk, 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 until, until a car came by and the passenger side window was rolled down. I chunked a snowball. It went right in, it went right and hit the driver of the car. When they pulled up in the driveway, I thought, my ship is sunk today. And you know what it produced? Repentance. I repented because it got caught. Same thing, we were chunking pecans at the horses beside us. And the horses shake a little bit, you know, shake his little fur. You know how they shake their skin? And then his big tail, you know, move his tail. Until the man that owned the horse saw us, told my grandfather, and guess what happened? We repented. (laughs) Until then, we kept chunking until we got in trouble. You get it? So the question is, what's it going to take for me and you to repent? What's it going to take for you to want God so badly you're willing to risk it all? You know, Jesus says something as I conclude in uh, John. John, where is it? John 12, 24. He said, except a seed fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But when it dies, it bears much fruit. He that loves his life will lose it. He that loses his life will save it. And he said it in various ways throughout the Gospels. I just have a question for you. Have you repented? Do you live a lifestyle of repentance? I was talking to the men on Tuesday morning. We have a men, you're invited to coffee 6.30 on Tuesday mornings for one hour. We chat. But we were talking, and, and there's a book out that was uh, copyright 1950. It's the book entitled The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian, H-E-S-S-I-O-N. And uh, my mother gave me that book in 1976, right after I came to Jesus and repented of my sin. That book, uh, the first chapter is, uh, on broken, is the word brokenness. When I first opened that book, well, I don't like anything broke because I want to fix it. Do you? I don't even like the term brokenness. It's like, uh uh-uh. So the whole chapter was about brokenness, but the definition he gave about the term brokenness in the first chapter, his thesis was, you need to be a person that lives in brokenness. Now, I was 18 years old when I read that, and I'm a fix-it man. I don't want to live in brokenness. I want to live in fix-itness, if there is a term. But his definition for brokenness, listen, the response of humility to the conviction of God. That's what he said brokenness was, the response of humility. That means I humble, Lord, if you say that's wrong, I say that's wrong. If you say put that away, I put that away. How many hear me? So I just have an overarching question for me and all of us. Have you... Are you a person of repentance? See, repentance is not negative, it's positive. Repentance creates an open door. Are there things that you just continue to do because you like to do, but God says, I don't like that, I want you to stop. Maybe it's controlling people through anger on your job, or maybe you run a business. 
Maybe it's holding on to anger. Maybe it's holding on to unforgiveness towards others when you know you need to let it go. But it's a family habit. Your family does that. You just, they just hold on to the very end. Well, I got to forgive you finally. I forgive you. It might be that. It might be, it might be you, 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 you may use words that are sultry and callous, hurtful, vengeful. Maybe it's sarcasm. Maybe it's a flesh thing that you've hung on to for a long time. See, today's the day, y'all. We got we to gotta clean it up. How many hear me? Last Sunday, I mentioned a, a verse in 2 Corinthians 6. And he talked about people walking in darkness, walking in light, people worshiping idols, worshiping Jesus. And then 2 Corinthians 6, 18, he said, 19, he said, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing and I'll receive you. and You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, seeing we have these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Question, what am I holding on to that would hinder me in God? What are you holding on to? Maybe it's uh, being less than honest in your business affairs, on your taxes. It's a big subject, isn't it? You know, you could be holding on to prejudice. There's certain kinds of people you don't hang out with. Dude, you've got to get over that today. Is it true? Maybe you're so political, nobody wants to be around you. Because you're right. Maybe the thing you're holding on to is you've got to be right in every conversation, got to have the last word. Really? Really? I hate to tell you, in some ways, that was me. And I've heard God saying, dude, just hush. Just hush. Let other people have an opinion. Let other people talk. You're not always right. And sometimes said, Mitch, stop. Or sometimes he uses my mother's voice when I was young, Mitch. Son, what are you doing? Question, have you really repented? See, you can be a believer, walk in with you, go to heaven, but are, are you living a lifestyle of repentance? See, that's what God's looking for now because there's a fresh moving of the Spirit that, that you won't open yourself up. If we don't repent as a church and, and the people here live that way, he, he'll just say, well, I can't use those. I've got to go somewhere where, where they're more pliable and open. How many want God to use you? How many want to, want to see the glory of God? How many want to focus on the right thing as this mess comes? The Isaiah 60 stuff, arise, shine, your lights come. Darkness covers the earth. How many want to see the light? How many want to focus on the light, not the darkness? Well, the only way to do that is repent. You understand repentance means a lifestyle change. If I say I know Jesus, but my life hasn't changed, I haven't repented yet. Got it? Or, or let's just say there's a, 
There, there's something you do and you know it's wrong. You keep falling into the ditch. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you keep falling into that. And every time you do it, oh yeah, you ask forgiveness, but you've not yet repented. Because you know that if you ask God to forgive you, he's going to forgive you. And cast your sins, as Micah 7, 19 says, into the depths of the sea. So you keep doing that thing and say, Lord, that was wrong. I ask forgiveness. Well, he doesn't want you to just ask forgiveness. He wants you to repent. That's not just sin if you keep doing it over and over. It's iniquity. Iniquity is like the bend in a tree. You ever had, you know, I like horticulture. I like, I keep up my yard and all that. You know, you plant a new tree. You plant a new tree and according to the way the sun, you know, shines on that tree, you've got to put stakes on it. You've got to put, you know, you've got to put ropes around it. You've got to stake it down if the wind blows a certain way. Or or if the sun shines on it a certain way, it'll it'll have a, a bend that goes a certain way. You want the tree to grow up straight, right? See, iniquity is the bend. So what trips you up? Is it pride? So many people are bound by pride. You got to be willing to lay it down. Got to be seen hot. Got to be heard. Got to be known. See, it can be a thousand and one things. I just know I hear the Lord saying, Mitch, today's the day. Let's get it right. There's a window, an opportunity, an open door here. And I want my people to live in a state of repentance and brokenness, which means the, the response of humility to the conviction of God. I, I want you don't go anywhere. Are you ready? Yeah. You know, you, you got to do something. How many know if you want, again, what you've never had before, you've got to what? Do something you've never done before. What if, what if we sit up and say, God, I'm willing to give you everything I am, and you ask yourself right now as we come to a grand conclusion here, what is it that I need to repent of? Attitudes, choices, behaviors, mindsets, words, actions, flesh, mind, emotion. What is it? What about you? You say, well, I'm just doing great. I don't need to repent of anything. You're worse off than you ever know. Listen, if you just heard what I said, you thought, I don't need, I'm living right. You are so callous. The worst person is the person who has no idea that they have a need. Wasn't the little little son they they named Ichabod? Ichabod. Remember that in the Old Testament? His mama died. Ichabod means the spirit of the Lord has departed from if you can do what you do and you know it's not right but it doesn't bother you that word Ichabod's right there and it's looking you in the face the worst place to be is when you don't care about anything and that's our culture right now and I'm asking God to keep me soft how about you So we're going to sing a song, and I really encourage, I know it's crazy, and I know there's a lot of people in here. If you really mean it, say, God, I I want to open the door of repentance in my life. And I just want you to talk to me, and I'm really willing. 
whatever it is, to lay it at your feet and say, Lord, help me. Here's the key. He wants your heart. If God's got your heart, then whatever you're doing, saying, whatever it is that you need to repent of, self-centeredness could be an issue, right? All the things that I've mentioned here. If you'll just say, God, I lay that at your feet. I know that's wrong for me. And maybe there's something that's wrong, but you like it. Now, that can really happen. Yes or no? All of us are the same. I've had things, well, God, I liked it. I like that. He said, well, I don't. I said, okay. Would you help me not like it? See, repentance, you're saying, God, I know you say you don't like that. And I don't want it. I don't want to like it, but I do. So, so, so give me a, a dislike for what you dislike. That's the key. That's the start. You get it?